Father, we're just so thankful that on a day like today that we get to come together and we get to really experience you together as a family. We know you're here today. And we know that you manifest yourself to us through worship, through your word, through even fellowshipping with other people as you work through our lives into one another's lives. And and we pray today, God, that this would really be a time of edification, that your church would be built up, and that we really would be prepared. Lord, we know that according to Ephesians 4, what you've told us is that we've come together today that, that this word would go forth into each one of our lives and it would prepare us to go forth and do ministry. You've got ministry for each one of us this week, Lord. No matter who, where we go, who we come into contact with, uh, Lord, you're at work. And you want to work in our lives and you want to touch other people's lives through us. So as we gather today, Father, I pray that you would grace us with the ability to focus on you today, Lord. That, that, our, that you would have our heart, that you would have our mind, that you'd have our attention, that you would have the vision of our life and we would find ourselves in deeper places of perpetual surrender to your goodness and your grace in our lives. So thank you for the love that you have for your church, that this church is covered by the precious blood that has made us all clean. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to be at Genesis 26 if you want to turn there. We started this last week. We'll finish the chapter today. We're half, more than halfway through the book of Genesis looking at the different characters, looking at the different principles and the doctrines of the Bible. A quick review last week, we saw Isaac hit a drought season, and uh, very important for us to identify a drought. We looked at it last week. Sometimes a drought is a time of preparation. We saw that with John the Baptist, with Moses. Um, Even Jesus went into the desert before his ministry started. But it can also be a time to identify that maybe we're in a drought because there's been some kind of disobedience, a distance, or even distraction in our life, okay? So simply put, we find himself in a famine, in a drought. Very first instruction he's given, man, don't go to Egypt, okay? Things dry up, things seem like they're kind of, you know, life becomes same old, same old, things seem very dry. You know, the last place you want to do is go run into the world for the fulfillment that can only come from Jesus. So... That was his instruction. So we're going to pick up in verse 3 today and tackle the rest of the chapter. Sojourn in this land, God's telling Isaac, and I'll be with thee. Okay, so he promises his presence, and I'll bless thee. He promises his blessing for unto thee and unto thy seed. He promises the blessing down the line to his family. I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swore unto thy father Abraham and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of the heaven, and I will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So what is he doing here? He's simply reminding him of the promises of old. That's what God wants to continue to do in our lives. That's why we study the Bible. That's why you have a Bible, and you've been exhorted by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God to read your Bible. Because this Bible is a book of promises. And these are promises of old that God wants to give to us and to remind us of so these promises from the past will impact the way that we live in the present. Okay, For us as believers, because of the promises of God are so wonderful in our life that we walk through this life with expectation, anticipation, and great hope. That's what makes us different. 
that the promises of God are so amazing for our lives. Listen to what Peter says. 2 Peter 1 or 2 4 says this whereby he's given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises that by these we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we see Peter is an individual who did not lose sight of the promises, but he recognized their value. He said they're precious. Exceedingly great. Here's a guy that walked with Jesus for three years. Christ descended back up into heaven, left them there to start the church. He picks Peter to give the first message. The church is taken off. The devil's infuriated. Persecution, warfare, uh, affliction coming their way. But Peter, we find him towards the end of his life, writing this epistle. What do we see this guy doing? Holding on to the promises of old. And that's exactly what we've been called to do here as a church, that we need to recognize that all the promises in Christ are yea and amen. God's given us promises, and we need to never let go of those promises. We don't let them slip from our grip. We hold on to them in our heart. And this is what he's doing with Isaac. Don't forget my promises. Don't forget my promises. So we see him doing this here. You know, for us, I don't know about you, but I, I think about this a lot. You know, I'm living in the same world you live in, and uh, things have been a little crazy the last couple years for us. Um, but my hope and my expectation when I look at the promises of God's Word isn't the recovery of America, it's the return of Jesus. And, and as much as I want to see the recovery of America, you know, I want to see that. I love my country. I'm thankful for this country and all the sacrifices that were made to make it what it was, but that's not where my hope is. My hope's not there. My hope is the very fact that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to come back for his church. He's going to take us home. And he's going to come back and he's going to fix all this. And he's going to establish his rule here for a thousand years and we get to be with him. Okay? That's just one of the promises. But, but we see here as he goes on, he, sa- he says, I'm going to make thy seed and multiply as the stars of the heaven and I will give unto thee. That's the character of God. God's a giving God. And we see here as he gives the promises, I, I think, and, and I hope that we know that, that, that we serve a God that is a giving God. I think a lot of people have a twisted view of God, that he's a taking God. You know, the only thing God ever took from me was a sinful life. And he replaced it with his wonderful son. He graced me to be born again of the Holy Spirit. And he gives. You know what he gives? He gave his son. And he gave, through his son, he gave us forgiveness. And through his forgiveness, he gave us everlasting life. And according to John 3, 16, the whole reason he gave is because he loves. Love, giving is a manifestation of love. And this promise that he has given unto Isaac, he can't even get his mind around the fruition and the fullness of what this would be. But this is the Messiah that would come down through his line a couple thousand years later. He says here, because that Abraham, okay, so now he shifts to his father. And, and he says, because that Abraham, look at Abraham obeyed my voice, kept the charge of my commandments, my statutes, and my law. So, so Abraham had a life compass. It's very important for us that we have a life compass. It's on the inside of us because sometimes we find ourselves in directions that we don't know to go and sometimes we feel like we get lost. But the life compass of our life is the word of God. And and, and the words of God are always found here. The voice of God's always found here in the word of God. And Abraham had that because he was a man of faith and a friend of God. And God's called you and I to be a people of faith. He had a life compass. And look what it says about him. Obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws, and not one mention of any of his failures. 
He just gives him, he puts Abraham up before him and he look, look at look at the faith of your father. You know, the scripture tells us in, in the book of Romans that, that we're to um, remember these people. Let's see, I wrote it down here somewhere. Uh, that these things are, are, are ah, never mind. You pause right there a minute because I'm going to read it to you. You're pausing very nicely, thank you. <laughs> for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, okay? And Abraham's life, Abraham's example was for our learning. And it was for his son's learning here. That's what he told, uh, that's what he told Isaac. Um, the faith, the obedience, and the commitment of Abraham, that was the legacy he passed on. That's the legacy of a man of God. You know what we find? We find that so often we want the blessing of God on our life. And I'm going to tell you right now, the blessings of God are located on the path of obedience. You know, we can't be outside of the Scriptures, living our life outside of the Scriptures, making decisions outside of the Scriptures, you know, continuing to give ourselves the temptation outside of the Scriptures and expect that we're going to experience the blessings of God on our life. That's not the location of them. If you want the blessings of God on your life, you've got to remember that they're located on the path of obedience. That's what we see here. And, and we ask, you know, Lord, bless me, right? We, we all want to be blessed of God. But sometimes he'll ask us, you know, what's, what's your proximity to me? How close are you to me? Well, okay, now what I've spoken to your life, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with the words that I've spoken in it? What are you doing with the message, the personal message that I gave you? What are you doing with the very thing that I spoke to you in your time of devotion with me? What are you doing with it? Because it says here, Abraham obeyed my voice, and he certainly wasn't perfect. But the bottom line is, and I think this is what we need to remember for this generation, for us as parents, that our obedience can be a conduit of blessing to our children. And it's extremely important that our lives are living within the parameters of what God has called us to. And it says here, and Isaac dwelt in in Gerar. And, and look at here, verse 7 says, And the men of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, She's my sister. Here we go again. Like father, like son, unfortunately. Now look at, I can't exhort you enough that, that in the Bible, we're, we're so blessed because we have these reference points to run to. We have all these examples, we have all these people in the Bible. And I can't exhort you enough that, that the Holy Spirit is always warning us to run from the failures of others. Okay? And, and I believe that's probably what we can't see here, but I believe God was warning Isaac here. But what does Isaac do? It says that, that he feared to say. So they asked him of his wife. He says, she's my sister, for he feared to say. Look, I'm going to tell you something right now. Fear is a terrible leader. You don't want fear to be your leader because it's going to cause you to make the wrong decisions in life. All right? You got the opportunity that when you have decisions to make or you come across circumstances, and you better believe you got two elements that are going to be there. You're going to have faith or you're going to have fear. And fear is a terrible leader. It's going to cause you to make the wrong decisions. It's going to cause you to go the wrong direction. I love what the Bible tells us, that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. 
All right? But we have to be aware that that's a weakness of humanity, right? In our walk as Christians, is that fear has the opportunity to be present, but we have to be aware of the power of fear. And unfortunately for him, he was afraid of these individuals, so he's going to go on and lie to them, just like his father did. Remember this, the fear of man, according to Proverbs, what does it do? It brings a snare. It's going to snare you up. It's going to lay you in a trap of, of the way that God wants you to walk through a situation. We live in some crazy days, but I'm going to tell you what right now, man, these aren't days to be fearful. These are days to be full of faith. These are days when we've got to be uh, trusting in the Lord. You know, Proverbs 3 tells us when we look at this, we see him at a crossroads. I have the opportunity to tell the truth. I have the opportunity to lie. Faith would take him down the path of truth. Fear takes him down the path of a lie. You know, Proverbs tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. All your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. And, and, and unfortunately for us, you know what it takes? Sometimes to trust God, you've got to let self-control go. You've got to let go of controlling the situation. I shouldn't say self-control, but controlling the situation that you're in. You can't manipulate it. You can't maneuver it. You just got to be honest and you got to trust God with the outcome. And unfortunately, Isaac went the wrong direction the same way that his father did. I, I don't know if, if he knew about his father's failure here, but, but unfortunately he did the same thing. And, and any time that I find myself in a realm of fear, it always convicts me because I'm sending a message to heaven that I don't trust you. I got to take control of this. Anytime we're walking in fear, it's because we're, we're struggling to trust God. And we see that Isaac does the same thing here. And he really, he, he, he put his wife in jeopardy. He put his wife in jeopardy because he wasn't a man at this moment that was walking by faith. He was a man that was walking by fear. For he feared to say, she's my wife, lest, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah because she was fair to look upon. And it came to pass. So, I mean, she's like 60 years old and she's, you know, in his eyes, she's still a good looking lady, a good way to be looking at his wife that it lo uh, longer in life at the, towards the end of um, their lives and still sees her as very pretty. And, and he was concerned about how the other people would see him. And, and it says it came to pass when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and, and saw and beheld Isaac was sporting with Rebekah's wife. That's the King James Version. And this isn't Sports Center we're talking about here, man. He was sporting his wife. There's something romantic going on with them. And, and Abimelech called Isaac and he said, Behold of a surety, she's thy wife. And how said she that she is my sister? And Isaac said, Because I said, lest I die for her. You know, Unfortunately, he lost his testimony with this guy. You remember, I mean, uh, these people were created, God's people were created to be a, a witness to the lost and the perishing world of the reality of who God was, to be a light to the pagans. And, and we see here that, that he blows his testimony with him. And, and Abimelech, look what Abimelech says, What is this thou hast done unto us? One of the people might lightly have lined with thy wife, and you should have brought this guiltiness upon us. So here we have a pagan ruler of the Philistines. And what does he see here? He says that we would be guilty. He has more moral fabric than the stuff that's going on in our culture today to say that, that someone to lie with your wife, that would have brought guilt on us, that it would be wrong. That's what we see here. There was even a form of a moral compass inside of him. And Abimelech charged all the people and he said, 
He that toucheth this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Okay, now Abraham might have taken comfort in that protection, but the reality, because God's plan was in motion, he already had God's protection, but he didn't walk in it. He didn't walk in it, but he's walking in Abimelech's protection. In verse 12, now, now look at this. And, and Isaac sowed in that land, and, and he received in the same year a hundredfold. And look at this. And the Lord blessed him. Okay? Here's the bottom line. This is something that we've got to remember. That God loves us so much, and this is what happened with Isaac. Isaac was living a lie there for a period of time. That God loves us so much, he will actually bring out our sin. Okay? He will actually do that. And you know the reason he does that? He does that because he wants to draw from us a, a, a purpose. The purpose is for confession and forsaken so that we can prosper in our walk with Jesus. You know, Proverbs 28, 23, you know, tells us that, that, that he who covers his sin shall not prosper, but he who confesses and forsake it, he shall find mercy. So, so really God in his faithfulness brought this out, not so that Isaac would get busted, but so that he would actually confess and turn from that so God can direct him back into the path of blessing. And what do we see here? Now, now he doesn't tell him, Isaac, I'm done with you. You know, you've blown it. I gave you the opportunity, man. You've blown it. No, right on the other side of that, because Isaac came clean, then what happens? The blessings of God start to flow in his life again. You know, and and God loves us so much. You know, the problem is sometimes for us as believers, we we, we can hide things in our life that are just sinful and, and things that... That, that God wants out of our lives. And, and, and if we're not willing to let God deal with these things, he can bring them out. He can actually bring them into the light. But he doesn't do that because he's mad at us or angry at us. He, he does that because he loves us. Because he recognizes that we're not going anywhere in our walk with him. We're not going to prosper spiritually, mentally, physically, or anything until this stuff gets dealt with. He wants to take us from glory to glory. And he loves us enough to, to get rid of the things in our life that are holding us back from that. So we see that's exactly what he did with Isaac. And then, and then what happens once, once this all takes place, Isaac confesses it. Look at I own it. Yeah, I did it. I was fearful. I shouldn't have done it. I was wrong. We see this confession here. And all of a sudden, you know what God does? He wipes our slate clean. That's as simple as that. That's what 1 John chapter 1's all about. We confess our sins. He's what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. With our walk with God, we're always offered a clear slate when we're honest with ourselves and when we're honest with him. And this is what he's doing for Isaac here. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Wow, the life comes clean again. The blessings of God start to flow into the life again. So often it's our own stubbornness that are actually holding back the blessings that God wants to unleash into our lives and bless us. And look at this, he blesses them a hundredfold. You know, you know what that tells us? That tells us that God hasn't only for, forgiven his sins, but God has forgotten his sins and he continues on with the plan for Isaac's life. I'm thankful for that, man. I've, I've got a, a whole resume of mistakes and sinful things that I've screwed up before, you know, but you get right with God. You get honest. You get right with God. You be sincere. You, you deal. You confess it. You repent it. And then all of a sudden, you're walking in the mercy of God again. Good place to be. This is where Isaac's at. And the Lord blessed him. Right on the other side of his confession, the Lord blessed him. <clears throat> And the man waxed great, and he went forward. We see this. He's advancing, and he grew, and he became very great. Growth and greatness 
in the eyes of God is advancing forward, moving forward, growing in our faith. Hebrews telling us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us and run with patience the race that is set before us. It's moving forward. Paul tells us to forget the things that are behind, reach forth under the things which are before and press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. God's desire for us is to advance us. That's where greatness is. That's where growth is. That's what the direction that God wants us to go. We have prayer meeting every Tuesday. One of the ladies here always prays that we would be moving forward, that we would be advancing in our worship of God, that we would be singing to the Lord in spirit and truth from our hearts, that we're giving God adoration from within, no matter how bad your voice is or how good your voice is that God would receive our worship, that we'd be advancing in the Word. And that doesn't mean that I would be reading more chapters necessarily, but the Word of God would be advancing in my life and would have a greater hold of me. It would be more visible in who I am. That I wouldn't just be a mental Rolodex of biblical facts, but I would actually be a living epistle that other people would see Christ in my life, that I'd be advancing in my time of prayer, being real before the Lord, setting aside the distractions that would keep me from moving forward and getting my focus on Christ, advancing in my service to Him, looking every morning to recognize myself as a servant of the Almighty God who's been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, no longer belonging to myself, but Lord, today, what wilt Thou have me to do? Advancing in our fellowship together, that we would find the opportunities to fellowship and to grow in the relationships that we have here as a family of God and to advance in our witnessing, moving forward. That's where growth and that's where greatness is in the eyes of God. And it says that he went forward. He was advancing. And he had possession of flocks and possessions of herds, okay? So he had... He was a shepherd, and he had a flock, all right? You know, if you have a flock, they need to be well taken care of. And it says here that he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herd and a great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. You might not even know it, but sometimes people are just going to envy you because the blessing of God's on your life. You see it throughout the Scriptures. We see it here with Isaac and with the Philistines, okay? They envied him. Why? Because of the hand of God on his life. The word envy here is really a resentful covetous towards the traits or possessions of someone else. Okay, you covet who they are, you covet what they got. And you're jealous and you're mad because you don't have it. And it causes you to actually hate them. You see it throughout the Bible. Cain envied Abel, he murdered him. Saul envied David, he attempted to murder him. The religious leaders envied Jesus, they murdered him. Joseph's brothers envied him. They sold him into Egypt. Daniel's, the satraps and and the other rulers of Babylon were jealous of Daniel, and they attempted to murder him. So I think for us, you know, it's very important because, you know, we're just weak sometimes, and there's there's an element of the flesh that is there, and envy's a part of it. And, And I think really one of the remedies to make sure that you never 
fall into that realm of envying other people and being content with the lot in life that God's given you is that truly you just rejoice with those who rejoice. So when someone gets blessed, you rejoice about it. You thank God about it. You, you bless them for it. You just say, hey, man, God's really blessed you. You know, maybe, maybe someone else's unsaved spouse got saved, but you're still living with that crazy heathen at home. You know, you, just re, you, know, you don't be envious of them or mad at them. You know, you just rejoice with them. And because envy really, it's the rottenness of the bones. And we see this taking place here because of God's blessing over the, hand, over the life of Isaac. And look what happens in verse 15. All the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines, had stopped them and filled them with earth. So, so is he, he's got a flock that needs to be watered, right? And you got these wells that were dug to take care of future generations, to meet their needs, right? And to sustain life for them. You know, the, the well here really, it, it's a source that provided life. And you know what you see here? You see the enemy filled him in. And Abimelech said unto him, go from us, you're, you're, you are much mightier than we. And Isaac departed thence and he pitched his tent in Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water, which they digged in the days of Abraham, his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called their names after he had named the father had called, but what the father had called them. So you know what we see here? We see here that these wells, they're a picture of God's constant provision for life and the necessity of survival. You know, I believe wells were dug of old. And I believe the enemies come and fill them in. You know, they're the wells of the water of God's word, the wells of the living water. I was thinking about it today. I, you know, unfortunately, you know, our, our, our country was founded really upon Christianity and the word of God. And, and it was the church that was so strong in this country that made this country so great. And, you know, I, I think that if some of the great denominations of our country's history, I believe they've been hijacked and they've been taken hostage by the enemy and their wells have been filled in. You used to hear the gospel. You used to hear the truth of the word. You used to hear about repentance of sin. You used to hear about the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ. You used to hear about the resurrection. You used to hear about the second coming of Christ. You used to hear about heaven. You used to hear about hell. You see, you could draw all these eternal truths out of these places, but the enemy has come in, infiltrated, and filled in these wells, and they're no longer able to sustain life for other people. If Calvin was alive today, he'd have a big problem with most of your Presbyterian churches. If Wesley was alive today, he would do, be doing a lot of rebuking in the Methodist churches. And if Luther was around today, he'd be having a heyday with many, uh, or the Methodist, uh, many of the Lutheran churches. And unfortunately, what the enemy has done is he's taken these, these places that were really a place to sustain life to the soul, and he's filled them in. He's filled them in with things that shouldn't be there. These wells, the enemy has clogged up, that once were wells of salvation, now they've been contaminated with legalism. They've been contaminated with liberalism. They've been filled in with humanism. They've been filled in with performance, salvation, behavior modification, business model ministry, and Aaron-style ministry like when Moses was on the mount, just give the people what they want. And I believe, from what I saw, is really what I believe God did with the Calvary Chapel movement was he dug out everything that shouldn't be there. And he just got back to the simplicity of what should be there. 
get back to that which gives life to the soul. An emphasis on a relationship with Jesus Christ, the importance of his word, a biblical emphasis on the Holy Spirit in a believer's life, the supremacy of love. And to try, you know, and I hope the reason that you come here to Old Paz Chapel is because this is a well that God's dug. And as we've dug this well, you know, I thought about it the other day. You know, we, we started with a coffee shop and we just tried witnessing to a bunch of youth on the streets and then we started teaching the word. You know, we dug a well down there. And, and, and God led us from that well to start digging a well up here. And we dug Old Paz Chapel and then and we dug uh, Gilead and, and just, you know, they're digging on Monday nights at the ladies' study. We're going to start digging Thursday nights for the college and career groups. But we recognize that the shepherds and the flocks need the water of God's word, pure and uncontaminated. Every word of God is pure, and it's, it's sufficient for what sustains life for us. And it's very important. And I hope during the week that you are drinking from the well of God's word. And I hope that when you come here on Sunday, you sense the splash of God's word over your life. Is it doesn't only quench the thirst of the soul, but it also is a cleansing agent in each one of our lives to give each one of us what we need. And we're doing everything we can to keep the dirt out. We just teach the true integrity of God's word. Can you imagine if the wells were unclogged in this country? <laughs> Can you imagine if, if all the ministries and the churches across the landscape of the United States of America just started getting all the garbage out and started to get back to the water of God's word? How that would bring a cleaning to our country, a cleansing to our country? You imagine that the, really the inward thirst where people are running in all the directions and, and actually getting poisoned. They could actually get their thirst quenched by the truth of God's word and a real relationship with Jesus Christ. But look at Isaac, you know, it's a, and Abimelech says to him, you know, go from us. You're mightier than we. You didn't do anything wrong. What, you just God's blessing him, now you're kicking me out of the country? But you know, we're going to see something about Isaac. He's very humble, very meek. You, know, you don't see him putting up a fight, you know? I am not leaving. You're going to be leaving. I'm bigger than you. We don't see him doing that. You know why? Look at, look at. When you're treated wrong, okay, he's treated wrong here. When you're treated wrong, allow God's sovereignty to enable your humility. He's just humble. He's going to move on. Why? Because I believe he saw something very sovereign in God's in, in the, the uh, work and the power of God in his life. When you're treated wrong, allow God's sovereignty to enable your humility. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus... You know what I'm trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you, sometimes... People do the wrong thing to you, and all of a sudden a door closes. It wasn't your fault. If God's closing a door in your life, trust me, you don't want to put your foot in the door. You let the door close, and you move on. And that's exactly what we see Isaac doing here, right? So he, he pitched that, so, all right, we read that, and, and he digged again the wells of water, okay? So he's redigging, which they dug in the days of Abraham, his father, for the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham, and he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. And Isaac's servants, look at, they dig, look at, they digged in a valley. Notice the location in the valley. You know, we think of the valleys in our life, we think of the low points, right? We want to live on the mountain peaks, right? Oh, it's beautiful up here. The air is so clean up here, you know? We have these mountaintop experiences and revelations with God and, and they're few and far between because the reality for us as Christians, we spend a lot of time in a valley, don't we, in the low places? 
But look what's located in the low places. Look what we find down in the valley. He dug in the valley and they found there a well of springing water, living water. Okay, this water was springing up. It wasn't when we dug a hole and we found water, but we hit something, man, and it's gushing up, man. This is water. If you will, turn with me real quick to the Gospel of John chapter 8. Chapter 7, sorry about that. So we see Jesus here. John chapter 7, look at verse 37. It says, In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. Obviously, he's not talking about a physical thirst here. He's talking about the interior thirst that there's not a human being that's ever walked this earth doesn't have. They can resist it, they can fight it, but they have a thirst within them that can't be satisfied by anything they've tried to put inside of them or experienced on the outside of them. He says here, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Okay, just like we're seeing here down in the valley, right, this this living water, this, this springing water. And he goes on to say, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But he talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit that would take place in a believer's life. And it said that he would, that that his belly out of his innermost being shall flow these rivers of living water. What does that mean? That means it goes beyond the parameters of ourselves. All right. It goes beyond that. And what does it do? It actually flows into the people that you come into contact with and it brings a refreshment, refreshment, the replenishment and the reinvigoration of God Almighty because of what he's doing in you and through you. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to touch other people's lives through you. He wants to overflow through your life and leave an impact upon the people that you come into contact with. Now, Now, when Jesus said this, he says, I say unto you, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you, right? All in the Greek is keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. That's what the Greek is, okay? It's not like a one-time thing, ask, seek, knock. It's asking, seeking, and knocking, okay? This is in pursuit. Now remember, these servants were digging, all right? They were digging. For everyone that asks receives, he that seeks finds, and him that knocks it shall be open. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, for a fish will he give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Okay, so obviously not, because fathers love their children. If they have a need, the father wants to meet that need. Then, God, then, then Jesus contrasts it with our nature versus God's perfect nature. If you then be an evil by nature... Know how to give these good gifts unto your heavenly, unto your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Okay. So what do we see the reference here? The whole reference about the seeking, asking, and knocking all has to do with with your pursuit of the Holy Spirit in your life, so that you can be like a river of living water, touching the lives of people around you. Well, I don't feel like it. You know, my life's kind of dry right now. I'm in a low point. That's the place where you're to be digging. You don't give up in the valley, you get digging in the valley. This is what they did, and they found this springing water. Things feel a little low right now, a little lost right now, kind of in a low point. No better time to be asking, seeking, and knocking for the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Now go back to Genesis. We'll get moving here. And the herdsman of Gerard did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water's ours. And he called the name of the well Essek. Because they strove with him. It literally means the quarrel well or the well of contention. All right? 
And they dig another well. So what do we see Isaac doing? He just moves on. You know, sometimes you just got to dig a well and move on. You know, because there's other places to dig. Maybe places that'll be more fruitful. And look what he says here. He says he just, he dug another well. And they strove for that one also. And he came to name it Sitna, which, which literally means the well of opposition or the hatred well. Okay? So we see, what's Isaac, what's Isaac experiencing here? He, he's experiencing contention. He's experiencing opposition. But you know what he did? He kept digging. This guy persevered. He endured. You know, so often for us, I don't know what we sign up for in Christianity, but man, when you get saved, you've been putting an army and you've got a real enemy like, like these guys. You know, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's going to want to mess with you bad. He's going to want to bring opposition against your life. You're going to lay down and die. Or you're going to get up and fight. You know, we've been called to endure. We're called to persevere. Matter of fact, I think one of the things that, that really uh, settles the fact whether we're truly saved is that we have a persevering spirit. That we continue. I think a saving faith is a continuing faith. It doesn't quit. It doesn't give up. We see Isaac here. He just moves on. He keeps digging. He keeps digging for the source of life. And he removed from thence and he digged another well and, and, and they strove and, and they, for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, for now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. There's room for us. You know, maybe that's what happened. You know, when you came to saving faith in Christ, maybe your family wasn't too happy about it. Maybe you lost friends about it. You know, maybe the people at work uh, mock you or all of a sudden people don't like you anymore, whatever it might be. But, you know, as you keep digging into the Lord and keep digging into everything that he wants you to, digging into the Word, digging into your relationship with the Holy Spirit, you know, all of a sudden he's gonna, you're going to find a place where there's room for you. And that's what this is designed to be. There's room for us here. Because this is where we're designed to be. You know, the reality is, there's no room for us out there. That's enemy territory. There's room for us as we gather together as the family of God. The enemy didn't make it easy on them, wanted to discourage them, but they kept digging. And eventually it led them to the place where there's room for them. We have a place here because we think and we live similarly because we've chosen to live in and under the love and guidance of God's word worshiping and serving Jesus Christ together. So they found a place where there's room, and he went up from Beersheba. That means the well of ample room. There's not a lot of room in this world for the people of faith. Unfortunately, you might find that you're not wanted in many places. But you get amongst God's people, and there's room for you. And he went up from thence to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father, Fear not, for I'm the with thee. You know, it's the very presence of God that gives us the courage to keep moving. You know, I think it's something that he was reminded of. It's something the scripture reminds us of, and it's something that we got to continue to remember. That, man, we're not doing this life alone. And we're not out there in that battle alone. That we've got Jesus Christ right by our side, man. We, you know, we don't walk by uh, sight. We, we walk by faith. We might not be able to see it, but he tells us that he's with us. And he, and he says here, I will bless thee, multiply thy seed, for thy servant Abraham's sake. And look at this, he builds an altar. All right, a place of worship. He's worshiping based upon who God is before the promises even come. He builds an altar and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there are Isaac's servants. Look at, they dug another well. <laughs> Just a lot of well digging. 
Then Abimelech went to him from Gerar and and Aphanez, one of his friends, and Phicol, the chief captain of the army. And Isaac said unto them, Why do you come come to me, seeing that you hate me? You've sent me away from you. And they said, look at this, And we saw certainly that the Lord was with thee. So the life of faith testifies to the evidence of God to the lost. Okay, the life of faith testifies of the evidence of God to the lost. Okay, how did they see it? From the blessings? Maybe the way he handled himself. We don't know. But you know what we do know? That God is the one who is faithful to restore our testimony. God's the one that's faithful to restore our testimony. We see the Lord's with thee. And we said, lest there be now an oath between us, even between us and you. And let us make a covenant with you that thou wilt do us no hurt, as we have not touched thee, and as we have done unto thee nothing but good. <laughs> nothing but good. <laughs> a bunch of liars. He doesn't even kick them out of the country, stole his wells. Yeah, you guys are great. And, and have sent thee away in peace. Thou art now the blessed of the Lord. You know, these guys were liars, but you know, here's the bottom line. You know, you just let God deal with them. Look, look, look what he says here. And he made them a feast, and they did eat and drink, and they rose up at times in the morning and, and, and swear one to another. And Isaac sent them away and had departed from them in peace. Isaac wasn't going to sit there and make a big situation over it. You guys are a bunch of liars. Treat me like garbage. No. You know why? Because I think that this guy already had released all this stuff. He'd probably already forgiven them. Probably like our Savior at the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He didn't. He didn't even bring up anything like that. Maybe he already dealt with it in his heart. Maybe he remembered he was a child of promise and they weren't. And it came to pass the same day that Isaac's servants came and told him concerning a well which they digged. And he said, we have found water. And he called the name of it Sheba before the names of the city in Beersheba unto this day. And Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of (coughs) Barai the Hittite, and Bashemah, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah because he went right against what God had already established in his family to take a wife of their own people and not of the heathen and he did and it created a problem created grief so we see here you know this chapter focuses on Isaac we'll, we'll see him mentioned a little bit more but really not a lot compared to Abraham Jacob and then eventually Joseph in the book of Genesis but even though there's not a lot said about him, there's a lot said about him. Seems to be a very meek and humble man, a very persevering and enduring man, a man that was given an example. He screwed up, he owned it, he confessed it, he moved on, and God blessed him. There's a lot we can take from this man's character. So, you know, we look, you know, we go through the Bible, we go through it line upon line, we go through it precept upon precept. You know, we come across different doctrines, we come across different people. We come across different principles. We come across different examples. But one of the things that's so important about going through the Bible is we go through it and it really hides itself in our heart. The design of it is to hide itself in our heart. And like David said, you know, I've hidden thy word in my heart that I wouldn't sin against thee. So all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation and then the Holy Spirit draws your mind to something out of the Bible. An example, a situation, a scripture, whatever it might be. And then we're drawn from the past. We're drawn from these old wells to help us in our present life. And that's why it's so important that we just don't take these things into the ear, but that we take these things into the heart because we need them. 
This is life's compass. Because I'll guarantee you right now, you're going to face things this week. I'm going to face things this week. We're going to be in situations. And we need the Word of God and we need the heart of God to be able to navigate them properly. We were giving out food boxes the other day. And we had a long line. It was great, you know, being able to pray with some people and witness to some people, invite them to church, tell them about Jesus, sticking tracks in all the boxes. And I'm in the gym trying to unthaw because it was a cold day. And all of a sudden, man, I see this car, you know, this big car come into our parking lot about 40 miles an hour doing a couple donuts. And it almost hits a couple people's car in it. And it backs right into a parking spot there, right? So, you know, I'm only 5'10", but, you know, on the inside when that happens, man, I'm like 10'10". So I go walking out there to this guy, and I'm like, dude, what was that all about, man? I said, we got kids around here. And, you know, and, and the Lord just started to settle me down a little bit. This was a human being that was created in his image, you know, and I didn't have any backup either, and he was, looked pretty tough, and, you know. And, uh, and so I'm heading his way, right? And he's on the phone, he's pacing, he's all freaking out. I'm like, this could get ugly, you know. Lord, help me to give him your love and, and just chill me out, you know, because I wasn't happy. So chill me out. So he's on the phone, he gets off the phone. And he looks at me, I'm like, what was that all about? He goes, I just found out my wife is cheating on me. So God had me settled down, and I had the opportunity to share Christ with him. I had the opportunity to pray over him. I had the opportunity to tell him that the divine hand of God brought him here at that moment, tearing up my parking lot. So I could tell him there's hope, that Christ loves him, that he died for him, and he's alive, and he wants to be in your life. You know, we don't know. But all we know is when things like that happen, this hits here, and we need to yield to what that's telling us to do so that we do it right. Because I came pretty close to doing it wrong. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you love us. We thank you that we're going through the Bible for the Bible to go through us. And, Lord, we want your word to, to really have its way with us and, and to really hide itself, Lord. I don't know. There could be things about Isaac that we looked at today that you ordained for us to be here because there's going to be something this very week that we needed to hear today. We're so thankful, God, that, that by your Spirit, Lord, that you're always faithful to, to dig out those resources of life that the enemy tries to contaminate and fill in. And I pray, Father, that, that really that Opaz and Gilead and this ministry here and the people that are here, God, that we would keep the wells as uncontaminated and as unfilled with earth, earthly garbage as possible, that we would be able to just draw with joy, that we could draw from the wells of salvation like your word tells us, that every word of you is pure, Lord, and we want to drink in its truth that it would water the soul, that it would cleanse the heart, that it would refresh us. And we're thankful, God, that, that you desire to, even in our valleys, give us that living water, God, if we will ask, seek, and knock. So, Lord, I just pray. I think, I think one of the greatest necessities here at the end days, Lord, for the church is to be spirit-filled. Oh, God, how we want to impact this dark world in which we live for your glory. But we can't do it. It's not by our might or power. It's not by some kind of a, uh, an idea. It's not by some kind of program, Lord. But it's by your Spirit. 
So Holy Spirit, we ask you to meet with us this week. We pray and, and just want to invite you in to do a greater work in our lives than, than we've ever allowed you to do, that the things that maybe would quench or grieve more of your fullness would be things that we turn from and, and, and to repent from. And, and, and Lord, we want you to have your way. Father, grace us to advance this week, Lord. We want to move forward because we want to be great and prosper in your eyes, Lord. No retreat, no backsliding. Call the backslider, call the retreater forward, God, into your presence, into your arms, into your will and into your way. We thank you for your love and your faithfulness and for giving us examples like Isaac, how to handle situations, Lord, and how to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd love to pray for you, anoint you with oil if you've got any physical illnesses or things going on in your life. Uh, remember, Look at, for those of you who have graduated up in your 20s, you know, Thursday night, 7 and 9, Breezeway Barn, you know, it's going to be a good time of fellowship around the Word of God. So God bless you. Have a great day.